do with your people, as your psalm has bid us to do. We have come to bless you and all that is within us to bless your holy name. For great are your benefits to us. As we have recounted already through, uh, through the singing of the hymns of, of that you are our creator. All that we possess comes from you. All that is, is good is from your hands. The very life that we breathe comes by your Holy Spirit. So we give you thanks for your many benefits. We give you thanks for the benefits of, as we would look back over the years and see the family, the loved ones, the experiences that you have given to us. See how that you have brought us through all diseases and, and troubles in this life. That you have been faithful to us even when we have not been faithful to you. We give you thanks, our Father, that you are one who, for, who has forgiven all of our iniquity. But God is like you. For we know that this forgiveness has come to us not simply just by the waving of, of a, your hand, by the way that you simply overlook our sins. But that this forgiveness comes at great cost the giving, the sacrifice of your Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And such a forgiveness would even cause us then, O oh Lord, to tremble. To know what you have done, the pain that you have borne, the suffering that our Lord Jesus went through, so that we could come here and worship you in joy and to celebrate all that we have in you and to be counted as, as your sons and your daughters. Oh, what God is like you. How wondrous you are. And as we have sung, you have given us as well your Holy Spirit. For we would not even believe, we would not repent, except that your Spirit has come within us and given us that, that grace by which to repent of our sins and to look to Jesus Christ. And that your Spirit continues to dwell within us to make our very bodies your, your temple. How wondrous that is. That we are not simply forgiven, but that we are made new creatures in Jesus Christ. And we have the power to live for our Lord Jesus so that we do not sing empty words about following you or being like you, but that by your Spirit, this truly may take place. Oh, we bless you, O oh Lord, our our great God. We give you thanks that being, because we've been made your sons and your daughters, we come to a Father who listens to our prayers. And we make petition for this world. We pray for this world and that it continues to reject you and fill with great darkness. In a world in which there is so much violence and we pray for that work of your spirit of shedding forth your common grace by which you bless and show mercy even to those who do not call upon you. We pray for those whom you have raised up in positions of leadership in various parts of this world and pray that you would grant them spirits of justice and of integrity, even if they do not call upon you. That those who do not, that you will bring them down and raise up those who will do that which is right. 
We pray for our brothers and sisters throughout this world, particularly those who are persecuted for their faith. Praying for your protection, praying that you may keep them faithful. And in their faithfulness, we pray that there would be others who come to know you. We thank you for those whom you have sent from among us to share forth the good news of Jesus Christ. And particularly, we think of Mark and Ray Olendrum. Thank you for their work in Sydney, Australia, with Jews for Jesus. Thank you that because you have sent them there, that there are two who have committed their lives and just in this past year as a, as a result of their ministry. We thank you for uh, three Isra- Israelis who, who went to Australia and then returned to their land knowing you and are ministering in your name. And all the more we would pray for, for fruitfulness, for their labors, your provisions for them. We pray for your church here in this land. We pray that we would be faithful in the pulpits throughout this country to faithfully proclaim your word. We pray particularly for our sister churches in this presbytery, that you would uplift them, and again, that all of our sister churches with us would bear fruit in the proclamation of your word so that your people are lifted up, but even more that those who do not know you are brought into your kingdom. And we pray for your people here. We lift up those who are struggling in various ways. It might be illnesses. It might be in relationships. It might be with jobs. You know what each person is going through. You know the hearts of each one is here and what is needed. Pray for you to be the good shepherd. Lift up your people. Think of those who recently have had surgery. Pray for them, for Patty Brinkman. John Howesworth, for Judy Hubbard, Carol Oxford. Continue to pray for Janice Fairburn. She continues to to mourn the death of her husband. We give you thanks, our Father, that we are, are not as those who must go through trials or grieve even the loss of loved ones without hope. We have the hope that is given to us in Jesus Christ knowing that someday each of us, all of us, shall appear before you in glory. And then there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more weeping. All those things will pass away. That is the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. While you're doing that, again, I want to say on behalf of my wife and I, we're delighted uh, to be here uh, with our brothers and and sisters. Uh, For the past nine years, uh, we've been up in uh, Philadelphia at 10th Presbyterian Church. Some of you may be familiar with that church and uh, also serving Gainesville, Florida. Uh, and then also served another seven years up there at 10th Presbyterian as well. And, and we are pleased to be back in the beloved uh, Southeast. And, and by the way, um, Ross, you should be delighted with the results because you will recall in the last three years, the loser 
When Georgia lost two years in a row, they then won the SEC East. They finally beat us last year, and they did not make it. So you can now go ahead and punch your tickets for the, um, for the championship game on there. Okay. Well, again, I'm going to read, actually, a few verses before uh, verse 32 to give you a little bit of context. I think I'll begin with verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one, one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Again, let's, let's pray. Our Father, as we have opened your word, we pray that you would open our minds to understand it. And then we pray that you would open our hearts Allow ourselves to be examined by it. All the more that we will benefit and bear fruit from your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. About 300 years ago, there was an English poet, Alexander Pope. And Pope wrote an essay, and he wrote it as a long poem. It was an essay on literary criticism that no one but English literature specialists today would have an interest in. But there were three proverbs that came out of that long essay that are still widely quoted. Let's see if you recognize them. One is, a little learning is a dangerous thing. And the second one, I'm fairly certain you'll recognize. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And then the third one, which you probably will know as well, to err is human, to forgive divine. Now our text this morning is going to really help us understand further that last line. I don't know, perhaps Pope knew that particular verse, I don't know. But let me reread it again, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And this verse brings to an end a chapter that is rich in teaching about church life in particular, as well as individual Christian living. As you probably, I'm sure as you already know, the first three chapters of Ephesians are really just one long great doxology, praising God for all that we have in Jesus Christ. And then verse 4 begins, okay, now you're to walk in a manner that is worthy of this gospel. And that's what the next three chapters then discuss. What is that worthy manner? And so for example, the chapter lays out that we're to walk in humility and and gentleness. Uh, We're to be patient and forgiving one another. 
We're to be eager to maintain unity that are founded on, he gives, seven pillars of truth. And then we're to exercise in the church the the bountiful gifts that our Lord Jesus has given us. And that's all for the purpose of causing us to mature in Christ, to be built up into the headship of Christ, so that we are, again, mature in our faith and showing love to one another. And that kind of moves a little bit more than to contrast us with the rest of the world. Okay? Our life in Christ is to be distinctly different from our former way of life as unbelievers. And so in Christ, we, we put off our old selves, and we put on the new self that we have in Jesus Christ that makes us to be more and more like him. Such a life is to be marked by speaking the truth in love, by self-control, by honest labor, by building up others. It is to be marked by being grace-givers. And so that leads us, as we come to this last verse here, to three character traits, not gifts, but traits that we now possess, and they are to be developed. We are to be kind, we are to be tender-hearted, and we are to be forgiving. Now again, as I, as I noted, these are not gifts of the Spirit. These are the traits that we have now that we are new creatures in Christ. In verse 24, he says, we have been created after likeness of God. And so this is how people are to identify that we are chips off the old block, is do we bear these traits? Now our focus this morning is going to be on that last one about forgiving one another. And you'll notice that he adds a furthering thought to that. He doesn't just end it, forgiving one another, but he adds these words. As God in Christ forgave you. God in Christ forgave you. Well, that's what we're going to examine right now. And so look with me as we're going to take, take apart this phrase, and if you're using the, uh, the insert, you'll see that we've got it broken out. I think the word that we're going to focus on is in bold. And so let's start with this. First of all, God in Christ forgave, forgave you. Now, some of us, depending on who we are, may have a great sense of our sins. And, and every day, I mean, we just wake up just so aware of how sinful we have been, what, what, what Christ uh, saved us from. Some of us, you know, yeah, we know we're sinners. I mean, I, I think about my own testimony, and be quite honest, if you went to my hometown, they would say, well, yeah, he's always a good kid, you know. I'm not surprised he's a minister. No, no, he'd be the one person whom I would have thought, yeah, would be a minister because he was such a good, nice fellow. Well, no matter what we may think about ourselves, here is how, what matters is how God regards us as sinners. And Romans 3, 9 through 18, depicts us as we really are in our sinful state. I want to read that full passage to you. By the way, if you're wondering what translation I am using, because I noticed there were different people having different translations, I'm using the English Standard Version for that. Well, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. 
No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, if you're reading in your Bible, if you're following along, you'll see lots of quotations. And, they, and they'll take you to different parts of the Psalms in which the psalmist is reflecting on really wicked people. Okay? It's not about just how everybody is. He's talking about the really wicked. But what's being said here in Romans is, that's all of us. That's all of us before God in our sinful state. Now, that sounds harsh. I mean, I, it sounds harsh to me. I mean, I look at a lot of my neighbors, I think, again, before myself, before being saved. And it doesn't seem that bad, but... But this is it. This is what God sees. This is the perspective of the one true judge. And it is that sin in us, in all of its vileness, that he forgives. You know, think about that. What's being said here is that we have broken every commandment of God, every one. We've committed idolatry, we've committed adultery, we've committed theft. Murder, you name it, we have done it. Scripture depicts us as rebels against God, even as enemies. It calls our our righteous acts, it says, our, our filthy rags in God's sight. So with that in mind, and knowing God forgives that sin, we have to ask ourselves, what sin has been committed against us that we cannot forgive? Let's look at the second part here. You know, God in Christ forgave you. This next thing we're going to look at is that it's about God. God in Christ forgave you. Now again, we may have our own concepts of what God is like. There are those of us who are very aware of the holiness of God. There are others who, you know, yeah, he's, he's kind of, we kind of just see him as like a really nice guy. But what does scripture say? And probably the best single illustration is found in Isaiah 6. And you know that passage, it's where Isaiah comes into the presence of God. He's in the temple. He has this vision. Now let me read that to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, that's Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, Each had six wings. With with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He is the holy God who cannot abide sin. Indeed, it is because he is holy, 
He must destroy sin and whatever it is that sin taints. This is the God who has forgiven us. And so we have to ask ourselves, who then are we that we would not, could not forgive others? God has forgiven you. It is God, the holy God, who has forgiven. Next thing we see that, let's look at that word of forgive itself. God in Christ forgave you. Now, what is it to forgive? Well, for God, we know that it means to forget. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Or in Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. It's gone. Now let me read it from Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and, and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. They're gone. Our sins are forgotten. We've forgotten. We lie in bed, don't we? And we'll think about past sins. Not just about yesterday, but of years ago. We'll pause in the middle of the day. Something will strike us. And at any time, the guilt of a past sin will strike us. And we ache from the hurt that we've caused. We can still feel the shame of of folly. We mourn what it is that we have lost. We cannot forget. But God does. When he forgives, he forgets. He does not hold our sin over us. And again, then, we have to ask ourselves, why then would we hold the sin of a brother or a sister over them? Why would we refuse to forgive and to forget? And then there's the last word in here. We've talked about you, we've talked about God, we've talked about forgiven. Really the most important words are here and now. God in Christ forgave you. Again, I'm sure all of you here, you know the story of Abraham. After 25 years of waiting, he'd been promised a son. It took 25 years. He finally gets the son that God promised. And there, there's that day that God gives to Abraham that, that heart-wrenching command to sacrifice his son on an altar. And you know the story. Abraham took his son, and it keeps re- repeating this phrase, his only son, whom he loved, he traveled three days to a mountain. Let me pick up from there. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? 
Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, being that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Well, we know that God did provide an offering for us. We know that it was not a ram. It was not a beast. It was not any created being. It was his son, his only son whom he loved. He did not withhold his son from us, and he did not stay his hand. There on Mount Calvary, he gave his son to make atonement for our sins. It's in Christ. It is through the sacrifice of his son that God has forgiven our sins. And so we have to ask, if God would make such a sacrifice for us, what greater sacrifice do you think we are making to have to forgive others? And so to be a forgiver... That is what it takes to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Forgiveness is what God has done for us. It is what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is why the Holy Spirit is at work in us now to make us know forgiveness for ourselves and then to extend it to others. Do you not, will we not also then graciously forgive? And when I ask that last question, and I look at these things. I, I don't know if you're like me or not. It, sometimes it, it can cause me almost to despair. You know, when I'm told, okay, you need to forgive, I'm thinking, yeah, but, but God, if you only knew, if you only knew what he had done to me, if you only knew how ruthless that person has been, if you only knew, and then you get this, well, as God has forgiven you. And it just stops everything, doesn't it? You, you can't say anything anymore. As we've just studied, he knows the worst about us. He has forgiven us. And so it kind of just, it takes the wind out of all the argument. And, and again, like me, when I listen to that, I, I don't then smile and say, you know, yes, you have. I'm just going to forgive kind of just makes me feel like, well, what's the use of even trying to complain? He's not going to listen, is he? You know? Because he can out-argue me on any of these things. I mean, the whole idea of having God our Father, Christ our brother as the role models, it could be suffocating. But it's all through the Scriptures. I mean, just in this letter of Ephesians, 
The apostle keeps bringing it up. Back in verse 24, he says, we're to be holy like God, to be, we're to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Or he's going to go on, he's going to talk about Christ, that we're to love like Christ. In chapter 5, verse 2, we're to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And anyone who takes the Sermon on the Mount seriously, and you read these things, and you know how, how unreachable the standard of conduct it presents. And right in the midst of it, after he's commanding us to love our enemies, here's how he summarizes the conduct. This is chapter 5, verse 48 of Matthew. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How then? How then can we turn to such a father, a perfect father or to a perfect brother for understanding? But here's the truth. It is that when we have been hurt, when someone has offended us and, and really hurt us, it is when someone has, has done the worst to us that actually we can go to the father and we can go to the perfect son and they will listen to us. Now, we had already read in, in Psalm 103, we did that for the responsive reading, of the Lord's forgiveness of our sins. And why does he forgive us? Well, it says in there, he's understanding of us. He knows our frailty. He has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers. He knows that he took, it, took us out of the dust. That's us. Yes, our, our Father can understand how difficult it is to keep his commandments. And because he, he continually is sinned against, he knows how tough it must be for we who are frail to contend with that. He understands us. But he will always, even though he understands us, because he's our perfect father, he's going to instruct us and he's going to even discipline us to be forgivers because he's our father. There are a lot of parents here. And you understand this, parents. You understand that it's because you love your children. It is because you understand how difficult life is going to be and all they're going to go through, all the more than you train them and you even discipline them to walk righteous and loving lives, that you do not bend on training them to walk in the right paths. And so that is with the Father with us. Yes, he understands. He's also going to keep us on that right path. Now, we can look to our Father for understanding. All the more, we can look to our brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's an odd statement about God's Son in Hebrews. It's in chapter 5, it's verse 8, and it says this. It says, Jesus learned obedience. What odd, isn't it? Jesus learned? You, you mean he had not been obeying before and he, he had to learn how to be obedient? Well, the, the point that's being brought here, and, you know, Jesus has always been an obedient but it wasn't until he was incarnated. He took on 
this flesh that you and I wear, and that he then also had to go through suffering, and he learned what it was like to obey in that flesh. And it was that education that made him to be what what Hebrews, this time in chapter 2, verses 17, 8 says, this is because he went through that learning education, he was able to become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's also suffered, just like we have. He's able to help those who are being tempted. And he doesn't begrudge it. He understands what we're going through. That's what this all means for you. That when you have been sinned against and you go to your father, your father's going to listen. He might even sympathize with you. I mean, David wrote all these psalms about how all these enemies are against him. He kept going to his father, believing that his father understood him, sympathized with him, would comfort there and, and be there for him. But what God will always do as well is he will direct you as to doing what is right and not what feels good to do. And also when you go to your brother Jesus Christ, he's going to respond, yes, boy, I understand the suffering. I know the pain, but I want to remind you, I did not give in. I did my Father's will. You also need to follow after me. And we do need that kind of of love, don't we? To know that we can turn to one who gives us comfort, who gives us understanding, but will always guide us to do what is right. How many times can we even think now, boy, we wish that we had been given the right counsel in times in which we had been angry or, or been hurt and we could have avoided some very shameful sins that we had committed. How comforting it is that as I grieve, that I can know not only my my father's kindness, but I can be assured that if my grief turns to vengeful hate, well, his kindness will turn to rebuke, and he will correct me. I need that. And it does help to know that he can remind me that he who is holier than I, who has been sinned against more greatly than than anyone has sinned against me. Nevertheless, he's forgiven me. And he has forgotten my sins. It helps me to hear from my brother, Jesus Christ, that he who has suffered more than I, he understands my pain, and he still will not excuse me, turning that pain into sin. And then here is what also should give us hope. Understand that we do have the power actually to forgive, to follow these commandments, because we have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. I don't see the bumper sticker anymore. I think they were really popular in the 80s or 70s. Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. I hope I don't see them anymore because they understand what a terrible thing that if that was true, if all we were 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 just forgiven and never were given power or hope to be better, to actually overcome sin, what a miserable life. That forgiveness would just be something that would just be shaming us 
all the time. He has given to us, by that Spirit, power to change. You know, our positive thinking, self-esteem, idolizing culture likes to tell us over and over again, look, you can be anything that you want to be. I don't think I've got to tell you that that's not true. If it were true, I would have been inducted in the Basketball Hall of Fame many years ago. And I know that if I had practiced more, I might could have beaten Michael Jordan in a game of, of free throw shooting. But I can never have jumped like Mike. I can never have handled basketball like Mike. Be quick as Sam. Be as tall as Mike. It's not in me. But to be kind, to be tender-hearted, to be forgiving. I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ. Those traits have been given to you and to me. Now, however difficult they may seem to be, and they are, the Holy Spirit's in us. He's giving us that power to do those things. Now, I've been speaking uh, to everyone here as though understanding you to have called on the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness. You've been convicted of sin. You have turned to faith in Jesus Christ. But I'm the stranger here. I don't know everyone here. There may be those who have not yet done that. You know that, again, that this is a culture that frowns upon such feelings and actions of regarding ourselves as sinners. It says not only can we not only be what we want to be, we've got nothing to apologize for, nothing to be ashamed of. But I think you know better. You know that it is shame that keeps you from admitting your sins. It's pride that keeps you from admitting that you need to be forgiven, that you need salvation. But should you ever grow tired of having to deny even to yourself that you need forgiveness and redemption? Know this. God the Father will not be reluctant to forgive you. Jesus Christ, his son, will not be ashamed to be called your brother. Think of this, to be forgiven. Forgiven of everything. The sins of the past that, that shame you. The sins of the, of the present that still frustrate you. Even the sins of the future that, that worry you. That forgiveness can be yours. If you but repent and turn to your Savior. Not only be forgiven, but you can have such a new life that you yourself have the power to forgive. Let's pray. We give you thanks and praise, our great God, that you have forgiven us of our sins. We, we who are sinners, your enemies, you, the holy God, have forgiven, have forgotten our sins all in Jesus Christ. Oh, we give you praise for such a Savior. May all the more, as by your Holy Spirit, we live to be such as him and to have his mind. In his name we pray. Amen.